I, I basically had two options. I could fight for my life or give up and die. And the, the latter just was not an option. And I, I decided also as a 13-year-old that I, I wanted to focus on living. I didn't want to focus on not dying, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. After doing some research that no cancer survivor had ever climbed Everest, and I thought to myself, well, if, if a cancer survivor is going to do it, why not me and why not use it for the right reasons and use it as a, uh, uh, a platform to scream hope? Literally the highest platform in the world to scream hope. Hey guys, we are back to another episode of the On Call Empath. Today, I am very, very honored to have my next guest. Uh, his name is Sean Schwanner. Um, he is the first time cancer survivor to summit Mount Everest. Um, he's going to tell his story on how he survived uh, two terminal cancers and the like. The only person ever. Um, to get diagnosed with both of them. Um, he's a well-known publisher, has two books out, professional coach. I could just go on, on, and on, but I'll let you let you talk here. Sean, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing great, man. I appreciate me, you, you having me here. Absolutely. I mean, I've had a lot of guests on this podcast, and some of the things that you've done in your life, I'm just sitting there with my jaw wide open, and I'm just, I can't but wrap my hand, head around this. Like, uh, so let's just like start from like your health. I mean, I know that you've gone through some cancer, which is just, it's gotta be tough. How did you, um, kind of deal with all that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, wow. How, how'd I deal with it? I, I actually, I was diagnosed with two different terminal cancers. One I was given three months to live. The second one I was given 14 days to live and, I think I, I dealt with it from a different perspective than most people. So I, I, I could I could hear you like almost almost stumbling over your words. Like you didn't want to say that's horrible, but it, it is. <laughs> yeah, I, I wanted to be polite, but I mean that is no joke. Answer is no joke. Right? No, I, I appreciate that. But uh, the thing is, and I and I, I say this all in one breath: cancer was the worst thing that's ever happened to me, but it's also the best thing that's ever happened to me. And I think it's based on the perspective that I've gained, that I gained during it and that I have after. And I, and I think that's the case because at one point in my life, I remember being on the bottom of the shower floor, literally 60 pounds overweight in tears, just sobbing because all my hair fell out while I was in there. Um, I had to pull chunks of, of hair out of the drain so the water could go down. And it was in that, that moment, moment of, of utter despair that I started thinking about my life. And I'm, I'm 13 at the time, you know. Can, can you imagine being 13 years old, 60 pounds overweight, bald from head to toe, fighting for your life? I mean, that's, that's pretty much what it was like. Have you ever um, had a point where you were just like, you know, just forget about it? Have you ever given up and just said, you know what, I'm just not going to move forward or were you always like this strong willed? 
I, I wouldn't say I was always strong-willed. If, if I told you I was positive 100% of the time, I'd be lying. <laughs> I wouldn't, I, I'd be lying mm-hmm. to you. So that's, that's just not the case at all. Um, but I, I think what helps me move forward and what, what would really help a lot of people too is if they understood what their personal core values were. Because one of the things that I truly valued when I was going through the treatments and still now is, is family. And in my mind, I, I couldn't <laughs> leave my mom and dad, you know, not, you know, like, like leaving the nest, you know, it's not going to college, stuff like that. It's like leaving mom and dad <laughs> forever, like, like dying. <laughs> and I just, I just couldn't picture myself doing that. So I started focusing on what I wanted as opposed to the avoidance of what I didn't want. So back in that, that shower scene, you know, I, I basically had two options. I could fight for my life or give up and die. And the, the latter just was not an option. And I, I decided also as a 13-year-old that I, I wanted to focus on living. I didn't want to focus on not dying, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, and then, I mean, before I get to the, to the great stuff that you, you know, climbing my Mount Everest, which <laughs> I'm trying to wrap my head around, what was the transition like? What, what led you to even think about climbing one of the tallest mountains uh, even when you're going through all this, what was like the transition point where you're like, you know what, I'm going to do something that's, that no one's ever done. So I, I think the, the transition actually began when I was in grad school. So if, if we could back up, cause I, I had a second terminal cancer. I was, I was in remission for a year mm-hmm. and then going in for a check out for the first cancer they found a second cancer and that's when they the doctors actually told my parents that i had 14 days to live gosh so that was just i mean that took a toll on the whole family because it seems like everybody knows someone touched by cancer it's it's almost like a global epidemic mm-hmm. now. and it's it's not an individual disease and i i mean that by the fact that i like i i pulled my family through it the cancer pulled uh, my myself through it, and my mom and my dad went through it, and my brother went through it. So the whole family experiences it together. Obviously, it's it's they're each experiencing diff- something different, but it, we all go through it together. Mm-hmm. So you know, I, I had that going for me, and then I went to grads or I went to uh, to college, and because my my teen years were were taken from me because I had cancer from thirteen to basically seventeen, eighteen years old. Uh, I, I pretty much, I turned into Belushi from Animal House in college. <laughs> right. <laughs> I was, I was reliving my, my, my high school years. Sure. I, I, I didn't have them. So I start off molecular bio and, uh, because I was such a party animal, it was, you know, it's, it's incredibly difficult to pass organic chemistry and immunology if, if you don't study. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I I didn't do so well, and uh, I, I switched majors the beginning of my junior year. And uh, I know I'm, I'm, I'm leading up to that that the answer to your question, right. kind of in a like a politician sort of way, you know, <laughs> skirting the skirting the question. But uh, I took the GRE, scored super high, and then I moved from I was born and raised in Ohio, school in Pennsylvania, moved to Jacksonville, Florida, to work on my master's and my doctorate as as a psychologist for cancer patients. And the transition was when I finally looked at myself in the mirror and asked myself who I was, you know, all those deep questions and and understanding that 
the cancer had changed my life. I mean, anybody who goes through something traumatic, it, it changes how you see things. It, it affects you on a personal level. And you, you have to step back and figure out how you want that to affect you. So I, I, that, that's exactly what I did. I, I decided, okay, I'm going to drop out of school. I'm gonna, I guess the technical term is I'm on a sabbatical. Um, but I, I, literally, I, I, just, I dropped out mm-hmm. and, and I left. I, I was also working four jobs trying to get my doctorate, which I do not recommend. Um, that's just, that's just crazy talk. <laughs> and then I decided, okay, well, I want to give back to the cancer community and really help empower as many people as possible. So I kept thinking bigger and bigger and bigger and, you know, what platform could I use? And, and I kept conjuring up these images of mountain because, it, you know, it's climbing is, is, um, it's a great metaphor for life and it's a great metaphor for people mm-hmm. going through cancer because you, you're trying to climb and get right. to the top of you're trying to get to remission basically. I see the connection. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, I just, I found that after doing some research that no cancer survivor had ever climbed Everest. And I thought to myself, well, if, if a cancer survivor is going to do it, why not me? And why not use it for the right reasons and use it as a, uh, uh, a platform to scream hope, literally the highest platform in the world to scream hope. What a, what a powerful message. And uh, as you know, like this podcast, there's a lot of people tuning in that, you know, I mean, some may have gone through cancer, but a lot of people just with the pandemic, you know, they're down on their luck. Anxiety, depression is all time high. A lot of people have different health issues and just, you know, put their hands up and not to compare, you know, other people's, uh, you know, health issues or what you're dealing with or what someone else is dealing with. But I mean, we all go through, I guess, our own demons, uh, you know, in a, in a sense. And it just basically how we kind of look, look at it. I mean, from what you had, I mean, you're, you're the cards that you were dealt. I mean, you just turn it around and you're just like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to make a statement out of it, which is, which is amazing. You had the mental part, but how did you have the physical part to actually climb, climb uh, Mount Everest? <laughs> that's, that's a great question because when <laughs> I came up with the idea, I was living in Florida. You know, I don't, I don't know too many mountaineers right. who on a sandbar. <laughs> um, in, in fact, uh, I did some research. The highest point in Florida is the, the, the top of the Four Seasons Hotel in Miami. <laughs> So I I packed up my stuff after doing a bunch of research online, and my brother was graduating from from college at that at that around the same time, and we uh, we packed up our our car and we drove to Colorado, and I literally was a, a self taught uh, mountaineer, mm-hmm. and then ten months later climbed Mount Everest after I moved to Colorado and started training. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like it seems like your adventure, like I mean, what was it like? Um on other adventures that you've done? Cause I know Mount Everest was, I mean, definitely one of the biggest ones, but what else did you, did you incorporate? The, the biggest concept and the biggest thing that I did was understanding that uh, consistency is more important than intensity. Mm-hmm. And by that, I mean, you, you look at the, the people who are weightlifters, you know, they, they don't go to the gym Thursday for five hours. You know, they go to the gym Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, maybe Saturday, right. maybe Sunday. And, and they do something a little bit at a time because with something else called the compound effect, you know, all that adds up. And I did, I did this, something similar 
while I was training for Everest, where I did something nearly every single day. You know, I would go out and run. I would go hiking. I would go running in the mountains. I would run up mountains. I would, uh, the, the biggest thing that I did was once a week, there's a, a mountain just outside Estes Park, Colorado, where I live, uh, called Long's Peak. And it's 18 miles round trip, 14,256 feet high. And I would do that once a week with 100 pounds of rocks in my backpack. Now, granted, I didn't just start with 100 pounds. I started with 25, you know, and then worked up to 35 and maybe 40 pounds, 50 pounds, 60, whatever it might be. But eventually, there's another peak that was maybe five miles, and I carried 200 pounds of rocks up and down that peak. So doing something every single day, but focusing on the end result and not just seeing it, but believing it and actually having this um, emotional attachment to the end result and finding a, a higher purpose for doing what I'm doing, that kept me going. I see the Hawaiian Ironman and you did it all with one lung. I mean, that, I, I mean that's got to be insane. How, how do you even do that? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can't even walk across, you know, around my neighborhood, like <laughs> with two lungs, but yet you did an Ironman on one lung. Like, what was that experience like? <laughs> well, after, after climbing, you know, Everest and the highest mountain on every continent, it, I, I enjoyed it. I mean, my, my background isn't swimming mm-hmm. and it was, it was interesting because you, you have, I think, I forget how many people do it, like 2,000 people, they, and they're all treading water. And all of a sudden, the cannon goes off, just like, boom. And then everybody <laughs> is, goes from vertical to horizontal because they have to start swimming. So you have to displace all those people. Like, there are, there are hands flying, people kicking me in the face, people grabbing my ankles. And I ended up punching somebody because they wouldn't let go of my face. I mean, it's just, it's, it's a battle. But because of my, my swimming as being in my background, I moved myself away from that mass, of that, that crazy mass hysteria of swimming or survival stroke, I suppose. Um, and I, I, I just kept my eyes on everybody. But because my swimming background was so strong, I, I kept looking down because the water was so beautiful and clear. I, I started getting distracted. I was like, oh, wow, there's a beautiful fish. Oh, hey, there's a guy taking pictures underwater scuba diving. Smile. You know, <laughs> and, and I ended up coming out of the water, I think, in like 50th place or, or 70th place or something like that. And um, then getting on the bike, it was it was amazing because I trained in Colorado. So the hills didn't bother me one bit. It was the heat that got me. And I have a, a friend of mine who did it with me, and he was training in Miami because he's, he's a retired baseball, a major league baseball player. And because he wasn't used to the mountains, he was used to the heat. He mm-hmm. went through, I think it was like eight or nine gallons of water um, and went to the bathroom like 15 times. Mm-hmm. I, we compared this afterwards. I went through 11 gallons of fluid, and I peed twice. Wow. <laughs> Only two times. So wow. I'm thinking my, my kidneys are going to go into failure. Um, but again, I think being in the moment and while I was doing the swimming, while I was doing the biking, while I was doing the running, I never once told myself, don't stop. I kept telling myself, keep going. Because you, you, you're going to get what, whatever you're focused on, even if it's something negative, like don't stop. Well, what's going to happen? <laughs> you're going to stop. All your brain hears is stop. 
Right. You just kept pushing your body to ungodly limits. <laughs> yeah, but I enjoyed it. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, I really know what pain feels like because mm-hmm. of going through the chemo and, and all the, the, the treatments that I had and bone marrow tests and everything. Mm-hmm. I, I know what my limits are, and I don't think I've ever hit them. I mean, nothing compares to that, especially, uh, I mean, if, if, if your brain's telling you to stop, I mean, you've been through far worse with, with your health issues, you know, to kind of make it, to kind of like gauge like how much you can take. But I mean, people that I've talked to, they'll push themselves to a certain point and then they'll get to a point where they think that, you know, they got, they're out of it. They, they got to stop. But that one second split second in your brain that says, okay, no, I'm going to keep going. I think that's what, what, what kind of set you apart from, from most people is that you just ignore that, that, that signal in your brain to, when it tells you to stop, you, you keep going. Absolutely. It's, it's amazing how mental being physical is because the body is, it's, it's an amazing instrument and it's an amazing machine. It's the mind that breaks before the body does. I want people to listen to that. The mind breaks first before the body does. And I think that that's huge in anything you try in life. I mean, there's someone that's listening right now, and I want to just ask you, you know, maybe they're not going to climb Mount Everest or they're going to, you know, they're not going to do, do like Ironman, but... If they've gone through health issues, what would you say? I mean, I know you're a coach and a speaker. What would you tell that one person right now that that might be listening to this podcast out there that just wants to change their life, but they they just keep getting to a point and then they just give up, or they or they just get to a a very end point and then they don't make that second step and they're like, okay, they put their hands up because of maybe they're dealing with health issues or mental health issues. Um, because that seems to be the biggest hurdle for many people. Right. I, I, I understand what you're saying. My, my first question <clears throat> for that person, so I, I, would, I never tell somebody what to do because it's, it's right for each person, but I ask them, exactly. is it, a, is it an excuse or is it a legitimate reason? Because one of the things that happens is I, I take a group up Kilimanjaro every year um, as a fundraiser for a cancer charity, <clears throat> and it never fails. Somebody comes up with what I call an excuse, like, oh, well, I, I have asthma. And then I come back and I say, yeah. I have one lung. Right. right? So obviously everybody's struggle is different. So you have to ask yourself, is it a legitimate reason or is it an excuse you keep giving yourself? And is, is it something that you're using to limit yourself? And you've used it over and over and over again. It's that same excuse that you bring out. You're like, oh, well, I can't do it because of this. And if, if, if that's the case, break that. Break that cycle. Break that habit. And, and you can do it by replacing something, a bad habit with a good habit. And, and the idea behind it. Is and I guess this is this is what I'm trying to get to, is if you because we're all humans and we're all creatures of habit. You know, you wake up in the morning, you have a routine. You before you go to bed, you have a routine. You know what what do um, what do teachers do every morning they wake up? What do meteorologists do when they wake up in the morning? What do parents do when they wake up in the morning? What do Olympic athletes do when they wake up in the morning? 
if you, so like I said, we're, we're a representation of repetition. So if you want something different, do something different. And, and don't try to change everything all at once. Just change one little thing. What's one tiny thing that you can change tomorrow or change starting right now that will change the rest of your life? And it's usually the thing that holds, that holds the power over that person more than anything else. Find what that is. Find the reason why you want to change it. And then put something else in that place. Just start with one. One thing. Yes. And I mean, I agree. We're a creature of habit. And I think one of the biggest things that I hear, especially with a lot of the, the listeners is, you know, they fear change. And I, and, and that's one thing I wanted to ask you is, did you really, did you have any fear? I mean, I know you face death, but what would that, what does that look like for you? Like when you're facing death right in the eyes or, you know, you're up a mountain and you're, you might fall. Does fear even... How do you push that to, to the side and, and just say, you know what, screw it. I'm, I'm just going to, you know, ignore that. Cause that, I, that's where, I mean, personally myself, I mean, I know that I'm like, well, what if this happens or what if that happens? And I let this dialogue in my brain that talks me out of it. And I'm sure a lot of people listening is the same thing. We have that split five second, you know, time to think if we want to do something or we don't. You know, I, I think I think you you said two words there that essentially give your brain permission to imagine any crazy possible scenario that could ever potentially happen in the future. What if? What if this happens? What if that? Well, what if it mm-hmm. doesn't? So, mm. as as soon as you you start hearing yourself, and, and I call it that internal dialogue. When the internal dialogue starts questioning and going crazy, when you ask that question, what if, you're giving your brain permission to come up with whatever crazy scenario it can imagine. You're giving your brain permission to imagine. You know, what if this happened? What if that happened? Well, you pay attention to that, that, uh, those questions that your brain has and that's asking you, and then just stop. Tell yourself, stop, you know, clear, whatever, whatever words you want. And then focus back on what you want to happen, not the avoidance of what you don't. Like I said, if going back to that, that child in the, the shower floor, mm-hmm. how do you think things would have turned out if I was more focused on not dying as opposed to living? Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be here. Same thing with, with going, uh, going up Evers. There are these ladders, aluminum ladders tied together that span crevasses. And mm-hmm. you, you go across these things wearing metal spikes on your boots called crampons that give you purchase on the snow and ice. Metal on metal on, you know, in minus 20, minus 30, minus 40 temperatures, mm. it's really slippery. So mm-hmm. if, if I'm looking off to the, each side of these, this ladder as I'm going across, looking down into this bottomless pit of a crevasse, and I'm telling myself, okay, don't fall, don't fall. Of course I'm going to fall. So what I do is I, I, I immediately bring my attention back to where I want to go, and I focus on one step in front of the other one. And a great way to do that is, so if, if a lot of people who are depressed are living in the past, and a lot of people who are anxious are living in, in the, the future. future. Yeah. Right. 
So if you're in the if, if you're in the present moment, you can really focus on what's going on. And one of the best ways to do that is just take you know five six deep breaths before you actually go across that ladder to the other side, and just listen for five things. You know, I mean, it, we can even try even try it right now. So just when I'm done, just sit there and listen for a second, and just pick out five different unique things that you hear around you. Yes, I picked them up. The wind, a car going by, <laughs> my feet tapping. So so it's it's all there. And that brings you right into the present moment. And it stops your brain from thinking, well, what if this happens? What if that happens? Well, you know what? That's in the future. Bring yourself to the present. So basically, you're, you're, you're basically focusing on the moment. Absolutely. Rather than the ba- looking back or forward, you're focusing on your step going forward just at that moment. Absolutely. I hope you guys are getting something out of it because I certainly is. I mean, that that is, I mean, that's been going on for, I mean, if you look at all the greats, I mean, it's one step at a time and all we have is this moment and uh, that's powerful. And I like the metaphor that you use and, you know, from your shower floor all the way to the top of Mount Everest. I mean, not a lot of people like you, the one percenters out there that, that, uh, that have, you know, lived their life granted all the health issues that you've overcome uh i just got one question for you you know why do you do what you do (laughs) that's a great question i so initially when i first went up everest i had a flag that had names of people touched by cancer and it was a silk flag about maybe two feet by a foot and it was every every time i went up the mountain and by every time, I mean, you know, we had to go up and establish camp one. Then we went back to base camp and then up to camp two and back to base camp, up and down, up and down, up and down. I was on the mountain for a month and a half before I summited. So every time I left base camp, it was folded up in my chest pocket close to my heart as a constant reminder of my goals. You know, other people who are battling for their lives. And then I did the same thing on the highest mountain on every continent, the South Pole, the North Pole, you name it. And then it started branching out a little bit more to other people who've, who've gone through something traumatic because we all have a different perspective on what we've been through. So everybody's Everest is, is, is different. You know, like you said, you know, you have a hard enough time walking around wherever, you know, it, that yeah. you're Everest. You, know, you, you can't compare yourself to somebody else. You just compare yourself to yourself. That's, that's, that's the bar right there. And the reason I do what I do is because I've I've seen death, you know. I I I I know what it's like to fight for my life, and I I know the value of living. And I want people to experience the same thing. I want to inspire people, motivate people to empower themselves to go on and do amazing things. Because we, in, in some way or another, we all are limiting ourselves. There is so much, so much untapped potential within each and every human being, sometimes they just need someone to either, you know, depending on how you, how you work, you know, maybe a swift kick in the butt to get going or, you know, some, some, some tough love or some, some reminder of why you're doing what you're doing or, you know, encouragement, whatever works for you. Sometimes that's all you need to hear mm-hmm. that somebody, somebody can do it. And if you believe that you can do it or if somebody else can do it, then it might open mm-hmm. up your eyes to different possibilities in your own life. Right. 
So just wrapping up here, I want to give you one last scenario. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of people listening. Um, if let's say somebody's listening out there and they're thinking to themselves, well, you know, hell, I, I can't do Mount Everest, you know, and they don't know what it's like to be abused and um, go through what I go through on a daily basis. You know, that's good for him that he did that, but I have these limitations. And, and that's that's what you keep talking about is that we perceive that we have these limitations, but they're in our minds. So wrapping up here, what would you say to that skeptic person who's maybe kind of scared, kind of fearful? They, they, they're not looking to go to Mount Everest, but they're just looking to maybe, you know, get a better job or, you know, make a little bit more money or just lose a little weight, you know, whatever their goal is, what would be like the first step for that person after they get off this podcast? What can they use right away? Honestly, I, I, my brain came up with like a bunch of different things while you were talking. And the first one was that there, there are so many people who are like, let's just, let's just say, cause you use the, uh, the abusive relationship as one. So many people are afraid to leave that situation because it's quote unquote comfortable or normal for them. And mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're more afraid uh, that that's more comfortable for them than mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Let me back up. They're more afraid of losing what's comfortable than gaining something that's better, you know, but because it's, it's not certain to them. What mm-hmm. they're in now is certain. They know that. Right. So the future for them is, is scary. So they would rather stay where they are than, and, and potentially lose that situation as opposed to potentially gain something tremendous. So you have to break that, that being uncomfortable part. Um, and know that if, if you, and this is where I was going with the second part, if you know what you value, you know, and, and if, if you know what your personal core values are, you can then start building conscious choices and conscious decisions surrounded, surrounding what means most to you. So if, if anyone is interested. I actually I spent the past six months putting together one of the, in my eyes, one of the best core values assessments out there, uh, because it takes it on to so many different levels. If somebody, if if you shoot me an email, I'll send it to you. It's, it's Sean S E A N at cancerclimber.org. So at Sean at cancerclimber.org. Send me an email. I will send you that personal that core values assessment with some instructions and some videos and everything else. Because once you know what you value most, you can start putting your energy and attention into that to help build you to where you want to go. Right. Would you say that being comfortable is the number one, you know, dream killer? Because I've heard that from a lot of people. I, I think so, because it makes you, to, to a certain extent, it makes you complacent. Mm-hmm. You know? But... If, if that's where you want to be, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, there, there's no judgment. You know, if you're happy with what you're doing and it's, it's not causing any harm, then by all means, keep doing what you're doing. If you're happy, keep going. You know, if, if you're not happy, then try to change something. Just one small step at a time. And it doesn't have to be monumental. It could be 1% every day, something different, you know, take a different route, try a different food, you know, just go walk around the neighborhood, 
you know, close your eyes for five minutes and do that exercise that you were talking about, just listening to five different sounds. These things add up, you know, and it's very powerful, very powerful. And, and I really enjoyed you having, uh, having you on my podcast. But before we go, um, can you just tell us how we can connect with you? Sure. Yeah, just go to SeanSwarner.com. All right. Hey, you know, I learned a lot. Um, thanks again for taking your time to be on this podcast. Uh, you're always welcome back. I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much for the opportunity to, to share my story and hopefully uh, change some lives in the meantime. Absolutely. All right, guys, there you have it. Uh, stay tuned for the next episode. And uh, please share this episode if you know somebody uh, that can might maybe help someone out. And always uh, remember that uh, you're never alone. With that said, we are out. You're listening to the On Call Impact.